Hello, Christchurch family. I'm Terrence. I'm Keisha. And I'm Caitlin. And I'm Kinsley. And we are the Campbells. We are so excited to be joining you virtually today. And we so look forward to worshiping together. And we hope you are blessed today. Welcome, Welcome to, to Christchurch. Christ Enjoy the service. Sing a little 
Father God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for all you've done for us and all you've yet to do. Thank you for our identity in Christ. That we can stand and face our enemies with the strength that it took to stay on that cross and die for us. Thank you for that strength, Lord. We wouldn't be here without it. Lord, we ask that you bring the Holy Spirit to move in us, to bring change where we desperately need change. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, your truth. Thank you for the opportunity to worship together. And with our gratitude, we can stand and sing hallelujah. Death is defeated. You are alive. And you are an awesome, awesome God. And what a mighty God we serve. And it's in your name that we lift up this prayer. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Christ Church. My name is Allie, and I am so thankful that you have decided to tune in and worship with us this morning. We're going to be participating in an at-home style communion. So if you haven't already, this is a great time to either press pause or take a stroll over to the pantry and grab um, a slice of bread or crackers and maybe a couple cup of juice, and you can join us as we engage in communion later on in the service. I want to extend an extra welcome to you. If you are new here at Christ Church or new to joining us online, we're so glad that you're here. And I can tell you from experience that this is a place where you can be welcomed, known, and loved, both by the people in this community, but also by our Heavenly Father that we worship here. We have an opportunity for you to get to know a little bit more about us and for us to connect with you right after this service at noon, we have a meet the pastor Zoom call with our senior pastor, Dan Meyer. He ultimately just wants to share his heart a little bit about the church, but, but also just wants to get to know you and get to meet some faces and have, meet some people and see some faces and have some new uh, conversations with new folks. We're so thankful for the opportunity to stay connected in that way, uh, even in times of physical distancing, but we are longing to be back together in person. That's why I am so excited to tell you about our worship Wednesdays that are going to be going on for the next couple of weeks. We're going to be in person, outdoor, in the parking lots at our Oak Brook and Butterfield locations for Wednesday nights at 6.45 p.m. We're encouraging you to come, bring a lawn chair and a blanket, and join us for some casual parking lot worship. Because the, the health and safety of our community is so important to us, we are going to be social distancing and are asking that everyone who attends please do wear a mask. But if you aren't able to join us sitting in the parking lot, you're welcome to pull up your car and tune in on a radio station, uh, or you can join us on Facebook Live. Either way, we're just glad to be together in worship in community. Another, another thing that we often do here in worship, in community, is we say the Lord's Prayer. 
And the Lord's Prayer is something that Jesus taught his disciples to pray a couple thousand years ago. And we're going to say it together in just a moment. Um, But as I was reading it this week and saying it, the line um, stood out to me. The line, um, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't know about you, but in this season, I have just been feeling the need to just lift my hands up, literally and figuratively, in surrender to God in these days. Just acknowledging that, that he, his plans, he, he knows so much more than I do. He has so much greater planned for this world than I ever could or any of us ever could. And a cool thing about our God is that he wants to bring his kingdom here. But he also wants to invite us to participate in that with him. He invites us to bring his kingdom here to earth by by the way that we love our neighbors, by the way that we serve the people around us, and by the way that we give of our time, talents, and treasures. If you're interested in, in giving to the kingdom work that's happening at Christ Church, you can find some information um, down below. But I just want you to remember that, that God is inviting you and he's inviting me to help bring this world a little bit closer to what heaven looks like. So with that in mind, I, I hope you'll uh, join me now in saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Never final when the father's in the room. 
Thank you for this time that you've given us to open our hearts to your word and to discover who you are. Thank you that you don't leave us in the dark about who you are and what you're doing in this world, but that you have revealed yourself and your will through your word, what we call the Bible, those sacred words that you give us. Lord, give us wisdom as we read and listen to your word. God, you promise us in the book of James that all we have to do is ask for wisdom and we'll receive it. So, Lord, right now, please give us your wisdom as we approach your word. Help us discern the truth and not rely on our own understanding. God, God we thank you that you give clarity and encouragement and hope. This is what your word brings. God, teach us now. We pray all these things in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus our Savior, all together we say, amen and amen. We are so delighted again that you have uh, come here today to join us. We're excited because this is the first time we were kind of doing live uh, throughout this week, and so we're encouraged deeply. Uh, so keep praying for us as we use muscles that we haven't used in a while. And again, let's listen now to God's word. Well, good morning, everyone. 
and welcome to Christ Church. My name is Pete Stearns, and I am our pastor of Family Ministries. Uh, and I'll admit that as a pastor, I really long to be with you all. I find it a little bit uncomfortable to preach only to a camera. I miss our interaction. I miss the togetherness, the energy that comes from sitting as a body of believers. And so today, we actually have a little bit of a fun experiment. We're going to have an opportunity as a congregation to engage and interact with one another using our chat functionality on either our streams or on our Facebook we have a little bit of a game in which I am going to be showing you pictures of products and uh, activities and asking you to simply identify them. But before I jump into that game, I want to give a shout out to Andrew, who is on our tech team, because moments ago, this screen was completely dark and we had nothing going on and Dave and I were trying to figure out how we were going to stall. And so if you enjoy this game, you have Andrew to thank because he got it back and running for us. So. We're going to be putting pictures up on the screen, um, and they're going to be of products, and you're simply just going to identify what you see. For example, if there was a picture of this book here, you would identify it as the Bible. I want to ask you, don't take this too seriously. This is just a fun way to engage with one another, and moderators and hosts be ready to give out digital pats on the back for correct answers. So let's start here with this quintessential uh, beverage. This is a classic soda that is consumed worldwide. In fact, it is in almost every single country across the globe. What type of soda are we most likely looking at right here? I'll give you a second to submit your answers in the chat. Now, I assume that many of you probably said that this was Coke or Pepsi, but the reality is, is that Coke and Pepsi are just brands of cola. This is cola. So we're looking for the specific product. This is cola, not Coke, and not Pepsi. See, some of you are starting to figure out that this is a little bit of a trick here. In our next one here, uh, we have this gentleman who has skinned his knee. Uh, my son Shepard skinned his knee on the 4th of July just a few days ago, and he reminds me every night that Jesus will heal his boo-boo. But before Jesus heals his boo-boo, we have to cover it with what? I'll give you a second to submit. You see, probably most of us would have said Band-Aid, but for those of you who understand what's going on here, you may have said something like adhesive bandage, because Band-Aid, in fact, is another brand that has become synonymous with its product. We go into our third one here. Uh, maybe you have... Um, a long day in front of you and you want to uh, slow cook a roast or you want to make a stew and you just don't have time. So you throw all the ingredients in before you go to work and then you head off and hours later you come home to a delicious meal using this kitchen instrument. For those of you who said crock pot, again, you are identifying the most popular brand of slow cooker. The correct answer is slow cooker. Here we have uh, this popular game, and when you're not playing doubles, it's perfect for social distancing. It's found in basements across America uh, and brings up fond memories of our childhood. I had no idea that actually ping pong is just 
a brand name for table tennis. So the answer we're looking for is this is table tennis. That's the game that is being played there. And I see that some of you are starting to get a little bit better at this. You're starting to catch what we were going with. So here, this one is going to be our hardest one for sure. What vehicle is this father and daughter riding on? Many of us have gone out on the lake or the ocean during the, the hot summer heat to escape for a little bit on this vehicle. Well, believe it or not, jet ski, wave runner, sea doo those are all companies and brands. This is known as simply a personal watercraft. So we're looking for personal watercraft. Now, I know that some of you are probably uh, shaking your fists at me at home because clearly this was just intended to trick us together. But the reality is, is that the reason we become so confused over these products and these brands is that each of these brands, each of these companies has developed what they call in the marketing world as mind share. The products that they sell have become synonymous with the brand that sells them. And this is something that every business craves because if you have developed Mindshare, any time we think that we need to replace our Crock-Pot, we don't think to look at other brands. We simply Google Crock-Pot. Any time that we need to purchase bandages online, we go onto Amazon and type in Band-Aid. And so this increases the revenue of any particular company. Companies crave this total Mindshare of the market. Now, I want to look at one more picture, and we don't have to engage with this in our chat function, but when you see this image here, what comes to mind? You see, we might look at them and say, these people are Christians. They appear to be worshiping or praying. They're together, and so perhaps they are at church. Some of us are drawn to attributes and characteristics of a believer, and so we think of faith. We think of truth, we think of grace, we think of mercy and service. We think of the fruits of the Spirit. You see, this is our internal mindshare, that which we aspire to be as followers of Christ. But I'm curious if that same mindshare is shared with those who are on the outside. You see, in 2012, David Kinnaman, who is a part of the Christian research firm Barna, uh, published a book called Unchristian. And in his book, Unchristian, he sought to develop an understanding of the mindshare around evangelical Christianity. And so he conducted a series of surveys in which he spoke with unbelievers, asking them about their impressions of the evangelical faith. And let me tell you, his findings are not nearly as flattering as our internal mindshare. In one particular study, he surveyed 450 non-believers. And of that 450 non-believers, 3% of them said that they had a positive impression of the Christians in their life. That should be a gut punch. 97% of non-believers surveyed said that they either had negative or neutral impressions of this radical faith that was meant to change the world. But it gets worse. When they were asked what characteristics come to mind when they think about evangelical Christians, 
87% of them said that Christians were judgmental. 85% of them identified Christians as being hypocritical. 75% of them said that Christians were too political. And 70% of them said that Christians were insensitive to the needs of others. You see, when Jesus Christ came into this world, he did so to establish a new brand. He was the founder and entrepreneur of a small startup that would completely change the face of religion in the world. He came to address the fallenness of his children. To highlight the brokenness of the religious systems of the day. To call out the Pharisees and the religious elite for their judgment. For their hypocrisy. He remained neutral politically. Instead constantly pointing us back to our citizenship. Not here on earth but in heaven. And he spent most of his ministry eating with the sinners, spending time with the broken and disenfranchised, and standing by the side of the marginalized and the oppressed. But you see, Jesus, unlike other corporate CEOs, decided to dissolve the entirety of his equity in this new brand and instead made each and every one of us stakeholders and co-heirs of his kingdom. And he commissioned us to go out into all nations and spread brand awareness or make disciples. Well, if we are to trust the statistics that I have just read, we as an evangelical church worldwide have failed miserably. And we have pushed this brand to the brink. What does it look like to reclaim the values that Jesus sought to pursue? What does it look like to fight against the temptation to fall into the characteristics that Jesus sought to abolish? How then can we begin to change the perception of Christians and in turn open non-believers up to the reception of Christ and his gospel? Well, it's rooted within the God that we follow. And scripture seemingly is quite clear about the pathway to transformation we as believers are to follow. Today we will continue our series in the book of Philippians. As we ask ourselves how we might respond to the writings of Paul to the church of Philippi. We will start here at first with verses 6 through 11. But we're going to go back and then tackle the verses that are immediately preceding it in just a moment. So Paul says, Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you, 3% is nowhere near every tongue and every knee. If we are to pursue a faith that is rooted in Christ, then we are called to recognize the most central theme of his gospel as humility and surrender. The only reason we stand here today as members of this community of God's people is that our Lord and Savior did not grasp the equality with God, but instead laid himself down as a sacrifice and atonement for our sins in complete and utter surrender. This is what I call uh, throughout Scripture as the cycle of surrender. You see, as believers, we recognize that Jesus Christ surrendered to us, and our response to that surrender is to, in turn, surrender to God. You see, this is what Philippians 1 was all about. Paul called the church of Philippi to experience their death as gain and their life as Christ. He recognized that as believers, we not only share in the encouragement of Christ, but also in his suffering. And in doing so, we present ourselves before God in total and complete surrender. As Paul continues in chapter 2, he strikes a little bit more of an encouraging tone. And he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. You see, Paul recognizes that if we have truly surrendered ourselves in response to Christ's sacrifice for us, then our hearts, our minds, our spirits will be transformed. They will no longer be representations of our earthly fallenness, but instead of his mind and his spirit. And there will be unity within that movement. Romans 12, 1 through 2 reiterates this. And it's one of my absolute favorite passages and I couldn't neglect to share it here today because it explicitly calls us to share in that sacrifice. Paul says, therefore, in response to uh, Christ's supremacy in this world, Christ's sovereignty over us, his providence in his creation and his sacrifice before us, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I will admit that oftentimes when I read this passage, I cling to this line, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. But you see, I skip the preceding verse that gives us a clue of how we might actually have our minds transformed. You see, it is countercultural in the world we live in today to surrender ourselves. Anytime we experience moments of tribulation, of challenge, anytime we turn on the news and we see horrific events unfolding in front of us, our world tells us that we need to draw a line in the sand and choose what side of that line we stand on. And once we have chosen a side, we need to be vocal in making sure our family, our friends, our neighbors, and the whole world through social media know exactly what we think. Our hot take, our worldview, our political understanding. But you see, Paul calls us not to cling to our own ideologies, but instead to surrender our ambitions, our thoughts, our hopes, our affluence, our significance, and our voice to him. This is what it means to be countercultural. This is what it means to turn from the patterns of the world, to surrender ourselves so that we might be vessels of Christ's gospel and not our brokenness. You see, Surrender is not a lifetime achievement award. When Paul calls us to be living sacrifices, he doesn't mean pray a prayer in Sunday school that punches your ticket to heaven. No, instead he calls us to continual submission to our God. He calls us to lay down our lives daily, hourly, in each and every moment You see, he tells us to pray ceaselessly. Not because in praying ceaselessly we can attribute to ourselves more uh, holiness points, but instead so that we can be aligned in surrender with the mind of Christ so that when these moments of challenge face our world, we can respond not through our sinfulness, but rather through the voice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And every time we neglect to surrender ourselves, we give a foothold to the devil so that he might speak brokenness into the gospel of Christ and confuse the world of who Jesus really is. You see, this is the type of surrender that leads us into transformation of mind and spirit and heart. This is what changes our soul. Far too often, we as Christians push back against surrender. It feels a little bit uncomfortable. It's very slow. It's not actionable enough. It's hard to measure the outcomes of surrender and submission. And so we like to move past it and instead think to ourselves, well, surrender is great, but if I essentially 
emulate the actions and the behaviors that I see in the Gospels, then that's basically the point, right? And so we read through Jesus' ministry and we say, okay, Jesus seems to care about the poor, and so we are going to care for the poor. We're going to go on service trips and projects. We recognize that Jesus calls us to be generous, and so we, more often than not, if I'm speaking for myself, begrudgingly give to the causes of Christ. We volunteer, we show up to church, we join Bible studies, all so that we can pretend to be living out surrender. But the reality is when our actions change and our hearts have not, it is holy and it is, it is, uh, it is hollow and hypocritical. When I was a young boy growing up in Seattle, I idolized Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. was one of the most infectious baseball players in the world. He had this thousand-watt smile and this fun style of play. In fact, they called him the kid. But as a kid myself, what I found most attractive about Ken Griffey Jr.'s style was his acrobatic plays in the outfield. Seemingly every night he would scale the walls of the kingdom to rob a home run from our opponents. And I wanted to be just like Ken Griffey Jr. And so I watched him play and I decided that I would practice every single day for hours these acrobatic outfield plays. And so as a fourth grader, I went into my backyard and I would throw the ball up to myself and run back to my fence, reaching up to try to rob the home run. And at first, I wasn't very good. In fact, most of my practice was spent running around the neighbor's fence to retrieve my errant throws. But after a whole summer of this, I got pretty good. I was probably one of the best elementary school home run robbers in backyard baseball. Not a lot of little leaguers hit would-be home runs. There weren't a lot of opportunities for me to display this athletic prowess. And I kid you not, in my fourth grade season of Little League, which happened to be my last, I did not record a single out in the entire season. I was a terrible baseball player. I went home discouraged almost every night, thinking to myself, why isn't my practice paying off? Well, the reality is, is that Ken Griffey Jr. did not become one of the greatest baseball players to ever live by practicing robbing home runs in the backyard. He dedicated himself, surrendered himself to the fundamentals of baseball so that his instincts, his mind, would be in tune with his movements and his body. Isn't this the struggle, the tension that we face as believers simply trying to emulate the actions of Christ without looking to surrender our souls, our minds, and our hearts to him? Think about it as evangelicals, we have entire movements based on what would Jesus do. But if we are going to change the perception of who Christians are, we should be much more concerned with how would Jesus think or what would Jesus feel? Because it is in this transformation that we prepare ourselves to respond authentically to the hurt in our world. 
You see, Paul continues on in Philippians chapter two to share with us what is the product or the test of this submission that leads to transformation. And he says in verses three through five, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, the test of our surrender, the test of our transformation is our willingness to surrender to the others, to surrender to our family, to surrender to our friends, to surrender to our fellow believers, to surrender to our neighbors and our colleagues, and most importantly, to surrender to those that don't think the same way that we do, to surrender to our enemies. Now, before we assume that this is an isolated text that is being read poorly within its context, I am reminded that this cycle of surrender is seen throughout Scripture. It is called out by the prophetic voices of Micah and Isaiah. Jesus Christ has built his ministry upon these foundational beliefs. In fact, as his disciples asked him how they should repay the wrongs that others do to them, he responds in Matthew 5 that you should turn the other cheek and allow them to strike you there as well. When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? How do I know that I'm going to experience eternal salvation? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your soul, your heart, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In essence, surrender yourself completely to God and surrender yourself completely to your fellow human. Over the course of the past few months, it has been interesting to watch as evangelicals continue to shine a glaring light on our abhorrence for surrender. Friends and devout Christians ceaselessly point on social media in the midst of racial injustice, political turmoil, and a pandemic, calling for the world to surrender to them. Asking others to release their grip so that they can follow the right path that we have convinced ourselves is true. But you see, this is not winning us any souls for Christ's kingdom. In fact, this is pushing non-believers away from us. And Paul says the only solution is to respond as Christ responded. Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, 
he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, if there was anyone that had a right to shake their fist at the angry mob and say, you're wrong and I'm right and let me tell you why, it was Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. But you see, the gospel message tells us that Jesus remained silent in Pontius Pilate's court. That Jesus remained silent as he hung on the cross and as the crowd hurled insults at him. In fact, the only words that he shared was a prayer over these people that God would redeem them. And is this surrender, this humility that Paul is calling evangelicals today towards you see, I think it is really important that you hear this word, that I hear this word. Surrender is not admitting defeat. Instead, surrender is trusting that our Lord and Savior will claim the victory for us. We are not to give up on the truths found in Scripture. We are not to give up on the attributes that Christ calls us to, but we are to recognize that the only vessel for this truth to be poured out upon our world is through humility and not through angry voices. Paul continues to tell us why this surrender to others is so important. A surrender that begins in Christ's sacrifice, that continues in our submission to God, that moves forward in spirit and mind transformation and lands in surrender to others. And he tells us, why do we embark on that? Well, Philippians 2, verses 13 through 15 says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. See, Paul recognizes that it is only in this humility that God can work through us. And that it is in our humility, in our surrender, that we are set apart from a crooked and twisted generation. And when we have released our grip on our ideologies, on our thoughts, on our politics, on our worldviews, on our pursuits, on our comfort and our pleasure, then, and only then, we will become like stars shining among a dark world so that others might be drawn into this cycle of surrender. And they too would experience spirit and mind transformation so that every tongue should profess and every knee kneel before our Lord 
and Savior. Let us embrace this call to humility and come before our Lord recognizing that we have allowed our fallenness and our sinful nature to pollute the good gospel of our Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I admit admit to you that so much of my journey with you has been decided by what I felt was true. So much of my relationship with you and my witness has been defined by my arrogance and my pride. And very little of it, if any, has been a picture of humility, surrender, and submission. Lord, I pray that you would draw us into this new way of walking so that your name might become glorified, so that every knee on heaven and earth and under the earth should kneel to your holy and mighty name. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified today, not through our action, but rather through our surrender. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as we mentioned before, today we have a chance to join together in the sacrament of communion. And it's fitting because in taking communion, we remember Christ's sacrifice to us. And in receiving it, we confess that we too are surrendering to God. If you're anything like me, you're feeling torn up right now. Because you have not lived a life of submission. But the joy of our Lord and Savior is that he takes our brokenness and he redeems it. So let's join together at the table of our Lord. Together, although we are apart, in receiving this surrender and in laying our life down to Jesus Christ. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus looked at his disciples. He wanted them to have a way of sharing in his brokenness and remembering him once he had been sacrificed on the cross. And he held up to them the common element of bread that would be used in every meal. And he said, every time you take of this bread, eat it in remembrance of me. And he broke it as a symbol of his brokenness on the cross, saying, take, eat, and do so in remembrance of my surrender. Then he took the cup, and he held it before them, and he said, this is my blood which has been poured out for you. It is a new covenant sealed in my sacrifice. Every time you drink of this cup and you eat of this bread, you proclaim the life-saving salvation of Jesus Christ our Lord so that the others might kneel before our sovereign King. 
today in your homes, take that bread or that cracker and dip it into the cup and take this communion as a reminder of Christ's call to humility and submission. Amen. As you are taking part in this table, I ask you to join us in worship as we are reminded that it is our Lord and Savior that has paid it all on our behalf.
Amen. Well, we are so thankful that you have joined us today at the table, that we have committed ourselves as a body of believers to surrender before our God. And we want to invite you to continue this fellowship with one or another around the virtual table, to join us this afternoon at noon for our Meet the Pastor, where we'll have a chance to hear as Dan shares his heart for the church in the days to come, to meet with one another and to get to know some of those new members that have joined our church in the midst of a pandemic. Now, would you receive this benediction that comes to us from the Apostle Paul and reminds us to cling to the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and has given him the name that is above every name so that every, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and under the earth and on earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is our model of surrender.